Welcome to Far Out Faust. I'm Faust Chicho, and I'm sitting here with Ted Wallach. Ted, who the hell are you? Tell them what. Tell them what's up. I am uh, a visiting scholar at the Peace Innovation Lab at Stanford. Um, I am working on masculinity. That led me to create uh, Quantum Warrior, which is an online uh, men a circle for men, which is different than a men's circle. Um, and I am uh, a coach. I work with uh, individuals who have uh, done something extraordinary in their in their life, in their world, and now they're figuring out what the next thing is going to be. And I I support them with how they can sing the song they must sing to the world before they die, and how to find the notes buried in the life they've already lived and pull that melody back together for what they're going to do next. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. Quantum warrior. Um, let's get into quantum warrior, man, because uh, quantum warrior, what it, it really focuses on the, the masculine and some of the, you know, we live obviously in a patriarchal society and um, obviously society is dealing with a lot of, problems and for the most part men have been the overseers of those problems <laughs> front and center and so i love this uh quantum warrior i love this this circle in this group that ted has created and and uh so it's, you're a life coach of sorts right ted i mean like so how, how did how did you how did that come about i started out as a film director I was uh, Martin, Martin Scorsese's uh, assistant on The Aviator. I think I lasted a month, but maybe not a whole month uh, because, well, that's probably very short, uh, but he does go through three assistants per meeting, uh, per, per movie. Hmm. Um, and uh, it got me started on a path of seeing some of what would lead to my thoughts about masculinity and boy kings later on. But I didn't know that at the time. I still needed to do another 12 years of making movies. And um, uh, and then at one point I realized, yeah, I'm not supposed to be a film director. I really like movies. I like making movies, but I'm working with this editor and I'm watching him and I'm thinking he's a director. Like this is the song he must sing before he dies. I'm just a guy making movies. This isn't my melody. What am I really supposed to be doing? So then I, uh, I worked in advertising for a little while. Um, I got fired a few times more. Um, and uh, one of the times I got fired, I got fired for all kinds of different reasons. But anyway, I started to realize like, I'm an expert at getting fired. <laughs> yeah. And if you're good at something. Somebody well, said you should write then, a book. Oh. And you're like, son of a yeah. You are writing a book, aren't you? I am. I'm writing a book called How to Get Fired because <laughs> I'm re I, I might be the world's expert on how to get fired. Um, and I wanted to teach others how to do that in case that's what they want to do. And I do encourage that. Um, but but actually, how to get fired is about taking back. It's about empowering the the person who's working and saying that wherever you're working, whatever you're up to, you have a song you must sing to the world before you die. You have a gift you must give. And if the place you're in 
isn't letting you give that gift, or it, let's say it this way, if you're not giving that gift at the place you're working, then you need to bend the place you're working to your will, to your intention, or let it break. And breaking might look like getting fired. And it might look like whatever you're up to changing so radically that you're able to give your gift, but you must give your gift. We need your gift. The reason you have a unique specific gift is because we need everyone's specific unique gift. And maybe that's what got me into love restorative justice circles. Because a restorative justice circle is a group of people where you sit in a circle, there is no leader, there's a circle keeper, but there's not even a facilitator, there's, there is simply a circle keeper, and everyone's voice is not equal, everyone's voice is essential. And I think that's so much more important. And I think that knowing that everyone's voice is essential really fundamentally shifts the way we interact with one another. Like, what do you say to people who are like, dude, you know, <laughs> I can't lose my job. Okay. I, 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 if I lose my job, I'm screwed. All right. I have kids to support. Yeah. I would love to be able to be playing all my notes and have my, the full array of my tail feather out. But um, it's just not in the fucking cards for me right now. I, I it, it, Because if I lose this job, I'm screwed. I don't have time to find another job. I got rent due. I got kids to feed. Like what, you know, what do you say to the people who are hearing this, who are in a situation where they don't believe they have this opportunity that they, that, that this can happen for them? It's possible that the job is absolutely essential to feed the things you need in order to be able to give your gift somewhere else. It might not be at your job that you have to give your gift. So if your job, but if, but you need to be clear about that, you need to be clear that your job is you, you are doing your job because it gives you the resources you need to do the things that matter to you. And that it's simply a means to an end. If that's the case, perfectly fine. Of course, some jobs are a means to an end and that is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. However, there are so many people who are in jobs where they really feel like this is what they want to be doing or they wanted to be doing or they thought it was going to lead them to what they wanted to be doing. And a long time ago, they even forgot what they wanted to be doing. And somehow they're still in this company making things that we don't need or worse, that are hurting us for other companies that we don't need or worse are hurting us. I mean, the, it's amazing how many people are working in this cyclical thing where this company works with this company to do this thing about that and there to make this thing and that thing that we don't need. If we're lucky, we only don't need it. But most of the time, it's not simply that we don't need it, it's actually aggressively hurting us, like Red Bull. One of the things I find myself doing when I fall down rabbit holes of how upset I am with how corruption is showing itself is to remember that what I'm up to in the world, the song that I'm singing, the melody that I'm here to play is 
to find the bugs. To find, I've, I've seen them my whole life. And for a very long time, I would simply get angry when I would see bugs, you know, go into diatribes about, you know, about that. And, and, and then I started to realize like, well, wait a minute. No, I'm supposed to see the bugs so that I can do something about it. And what I'm supposed to do about it is work with individuals, often individuals who have a major effect on the world or can make great impact in the world um, and help them see the bugs in their own human operating code that's not serving them anymore and not make the bugs wrong, but simply say that those bugs are no longer serving us. Let's come up with better code. So one code that we even created a mnemonic device for in America, although I think they have it here in Europe too, is um, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names may never harm me. It even rhymes. Make sure you don't forget it, right? It goes directly into your brain. And what it really means is if words, then no harm. And if you take if words, then no harm, and you scale it, and then you get Donald Trump as a president who doesn't believe that his words cause harm, you can get upset with Donald Trump, or you can go down to the code and say, well, let's change the code because this code's not working. So better code would be, well, let's go back to the toll tax. Um, uh, be impeccable with your word. So if impeccable with your word, then powerful in the world, something like that. That's better code. Good. Let's use that instead. We don't have to make the other code wrong or bad. We can simply say this code serves us better. And I'm trying in my own life to notice the places where I get angry and say, well, wait a minute. What if my anger is only a device to see the places where the bugs are? Yeah. And that it's a gift. That's a good thing. Thank you for the consciousness to be able to see them and then be, be able to bring my attention to them and then make change. That uh, helps me most of the time. Sometimes I still get angry. Yeah, it's helping me right now because uh, the last couple of days I've been, uh, I'm just find myself caught up in, in, in getting frustrated and angry um, about some of what's happening in our society more so than usual. And, um, and and just finding myself with no patience to deal, and and wondering why I'm wait, you know, why I, I'm wasting my time, you know, or why I feel that I'm wasting my time because, you know, a lot of people come with great intentions and they speak about how they're open minded, um, yet not everyone is conscious of the fact that they're 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 not open minded. They're they're really just looking for something else, you know, um, and it's not. A new perspective. It's a it's a confirmation bias. I'll I'll add a piece to that. I was speaking uh, with a friend of mine yesterday um, about how polarized America has become, and she reminded me something, which is that we all are in a process of raising consciousness, and sometimes we get into this elitist place of like, why aren't the others joining us? In the and man, that is so unhelpful because here's the thing, since we're all in it together, everyone is playing the part exactly the way they need to be playing it. 
And the truth of the matter is that the people who anger you and frustrate you are actually doing you a great service. It's a gift because it's raising your consciousness. When they anger you and frustrate you, if you can go from I'm angry and frustrated to I'm noticing that I'm angry and frustrated to what does this say about me? Where is the anger and frustration in myself? Can I see that they're simply playing their part? And this is the part they're playing is to bring attention and awareness to me. That's a gift. And then it doesn't have to be bad or wrong. It's actually much better. It's, it's an opportunity. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's also, you know, a pressure valve. I mean, some of these emotions that we feel get a bad name, especially in the, in the spiritual community and then the, you know, some of the movements that are, you know, you see a lot of spiritual bypassing. If you didn't feel anger, if you didn't feel sadness, I don't, you know, I, I, it's hard to even imagine what would become of that person. And, and so it's there for a reason. It's not for nothing that you feel that. Absolutely. And that actually brings us to circle because for me, circle is where you unleash your pressure valve. Because the problem is most people don't have a place to unleash their pressure valve or what the shamans from uh, South America, from, from Lake Titicaca would say is pulling shadow out of your light body and throwing it into the fire. You must do that. And you don't necessarily have any place to do that because we just don't have a lot of opportunity to do that. So rather than taking our anger and pulling it as shadow and throwing it in, in, in by, and being witnessed by others, which is what circle is about, we react to our anger. And reacting to anger is a serious problem because that's getting unconscious. But if you can consciously pull your anger and do the work, you're much safer. And we are much safer. I mean, a big part of the reason I run these circles is because I think that, and I am of the people I am speaking of, that by sitting in circle, we, and pulling the shadow, we are much less likely to get angry or, or to act out in our lives. And so we're making it safe for everybody by doing this work. Yeah, man. I mean, there's, I feel like we should institute it on a, some kind of executive level, especially for I'm working on it. Corporate, corporate America. Mm. You know? Yeah. But, no, I mean, one thing we've been trying to do is to start to think actually, uh, um, starting to think about what does it look like to actually bring this into uh, corporate spaces. Now, there are problems with that. I won't get into all the details, but it gets more complicated because, well, it's not a safe environment to begin with necessarily. And so it's difficult to create a container, but at least people get to speak and be heard and not inter... I mean, if, if for nothing else, not interrupted. We have this thing called a conversation, which is mostly what we do when we interact or communicate with each other. We have a conversation. And the problem with a conversation is there. it is not a clear agreement about what you're up to. So you're sort of dancing back and forth and you're not really sure what you're up to. You haven't, you haven't created the rules of the game you're playing. And we do better when we have rules to the game we're playing that we agree on. So circle's great because there are three rules. You can only talk when you have the talking piece. The talking piece only goes in one direction. 
and you're allowed to pass. That's it. No more rules. But you got to follow those rules, you know, and 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 so we know what we're up to. But in in a conversation, it's like, when do I begin? When do they begin? What are we up to? What are we trying to accomplish? When is it over? Like, we don't know. And I think that people get triggered, upset in that situation, and they, they can't do anything about it because there's no mechanism inside of a conversation to solve the problem. Right. And then I think in, when it comes to families, we get into fights and we think that we have to fight it out. Mm -hmm. And like, maybe, but I don't find that those are terribly helpful. I think they make things worse. A lot of the times what I do with my wife is we sit in circle we grab a talking piece and we sit in circle because otherwise, what are we going to do? I'm going to make her wrong. She's going to make me wrong. I'm going to feel bad. Then I'm going to make her more wrong. And then she's going to make me more wrong. Yeah, no then one's we're all listening wrong. Anyways, what is you that? Know. And, and then listening goes right out the window, which is another thing that you, that you write really eloquently about and profoundly about. I've got a, uh, a three-year-old and a seven-year-old, both boys. And, um, you know, I've thought about circle and like, what, well, what am I really up to? And uh, as far as I can tell, if by the time my boys are, I don't know, 18, rather than thinking what I thought power was when I was 18, when I, when I was 18, I thought power meant money, fame, um, uh, you know, muscles, uh, things like that. I realize now that's all force, you know, in, in, in David Hawkins language. Um, and that if they really see power as taking responsibility for your actions and those of the people around you, not because it's the right thing to do, but because it's the powerful thing to do, not because you it's your fault or you deserve it or any of those things. Cause I don't think that's a helpful way to think about the world, but simply because that's better code and it leads to better outcomes. That would be great. If my boys really believe that vulnerability is a superpower and they can share to be known because they really believe that that would be wonderful. That's what, that's what I would love to have happen. So I'm trying to model it myself. And the best way for me to model it is first to learn it every day. Cause I'm relearning it all the time. Cause I didn't learn it when I was younger. Um, and second to practice it in almost what I would call a gym of listening, which is quantum warrior. It's, it's yeah. a place you go to share what you need to share to pull your shadow and be seen and heard and witnessed and to practice your listening. It's a deep meditation. Sounds you're, you're selling me on it, Ted. You're welcome, Faust. We'd love to have you. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely, um, I, I'm, I'm loving what I'm hearing about it, you know, and vulnerability in, in men is a, you know, the, the word itself is, <laughs> it creates all kinds of responses and, it's a trigger for a lot of people because uh, like you, you know, we're, we're, the behavior is not very 
commonplace as far as modeling goes. I mean, emotional role modeling, I think, is something that, you know, our generation has just come into awareness of just in time. You know, when I when I realized that I I'm I am to be an emotional role model for my children and then I <laughs> realized that my parents were supposed to be emotional role models for me, I think I went into a state of shock for about maybe like 48 hours. I just sat around with my mouth open catatonic <laughs> at, at that notion. Because my, my, I don't think my, anybody told my parents that. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's key, man. It's key. And, you know, I see so many problems, you know, in, in people that I love. And it's, it, it is because they have cut themselves off from this wonderful gift that we have. Because it's basically what, they've been, what they were conditioned, what they were taught. I would love to get into some of the psychological side effects of what happens when vulnerability is basically you know conditioned out of young boys and men because i'm pretty sure we'll see a correlation with a lot of the people who are in power that we have a problem with and and a lot of the problems that we find ourselves facing in our life can be related to these let me tell you how i got into it okay and then, and then I think I can get into kind of vulnerability and how, how, how that came something, to, how that became important to me and then sort of speak from there. So um, I was in uh, Hawaii uh, uh, with my wife and we were working with a uh, Tantra teacher and she asked me some question. I don't remember what it was. And my response was, that's because men are responsible for all the world's problems. And her response was, and I just like I just blurted it out, like, obviously. And her response was, huh. I'm not saying you're wrong, but you might want to look at that because that might have more to do with you than it has to do with men. And she was like, maybe you want to do some men's work. So then I came back to the East Coast and a friend of mine uh, happened to be doing men's work at that particular time. It was a bizarre synchronicity. Um, and uh, I ended up doing this men's work for about a year. Um, and there was a lot of powerful things about the men's work, but there was also something missing for me. Um, and it was something around vulnerability, actually, because although there was a vulnerability aspect to it, there wasn't. There was something missing for me in the way that it works, because men's work is more about uh, or this particular men's work and a lot of men's work in, in general is more about, you know, you show up late for the meeting. And then the question is, you know, where else do you show up late in your life? Uh, and that's a good, powerful tool. And for some people that helps you get into vulnerability, but for me, it doesn't. For me, it closes me off. I'm like, fuck you, because I have serious problems with authority. Um, so what I need to be able to get vulnerable is to uh, be feel really safe. And then... I'm able to share, to be known. I'm able to share from the inside out, my inner world. I think that most of the time when we communicate with people, first, we're in conversation. We spoke about that. Second, most of the time when we call up friends, when we you know interact with people, we're catching up. Hey, let's catch up. And 
There's something very problematic about that for me. The problem is what you're in essence saying is let's get together. And rather than being present and speaking from our own experience in the moment, let's talk, let's tell stories from the past that are over to bring us up to now so that we can then wait till next time to be present, to be not present again. And something about that just doesn't feel connecting, doesn't feel, um, it doesn't feel like intimacy. And the way my teacher, um, uh, my, my, the, the, the woman who taught me uh, uh, circle keeping, um, Elizabeth Clement, uh, who is a, a, a mediator and a shaman, just an extraordinary uh, uh, woman, she, she defines intimacy as sharing to be known and listening to know. And I thought about that a lot and I thought, well, what does that mean? Oh, I see. When we're in a normal conversation, we are sharing to be understood. Right now, I am sharing to be understood and you are listening to agree and you're shaking your head because I'm giving you content. You are catching that content and then agreeing with that content so that we are on the same page, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. It's absolutely necessary if we want to um, cre create something, build a building, you know, I need to be able to say six inches and then you go, oh, six inches. And you actually know what that means because otherwise we can't build something together. If you're trying to uh, build a building, you absolutely need to share to be understood and listen for agreement and listen to understand the content that's coming across. Essential, otherwise you can't make something together. But if you're trying to build intimacy, then you need to listen to know and share to be known because you need to be witnessed in your experience. One thing I've noticed is that anytime I'm in a fight with my wife, we might think at the moment that it's about the content. Oh, it's because you didn't do the dishes. It's because you didn't do the this and you didn't do the that. And the truth of the matter is somebody feels unheard. Somebody feels unseen, unheard, or unappreciated. It's always that. It's never about the thing. And one place I really saw that is I used to just hate doing dishes. And my wife would be like, can you please just do the dishes? And I, and, you know, and I have this like egotistical feeling of like, my time is too important. You know, the work I do <laughs> is too essential, like for me to be doing dishes. And what I realized is she doesn't want me to do the dishes because she wants the dishes done. She wants me to do the dishes because she feels safer in a house where dishes have been done. And that goes back to her childhood. And I won't go into the details of that, but that's what doing dishes means to her. Dishes being done means safety. So now I get to reframe it and I say, I'm not doing dishes. I'm making my wife safe. I'm providing and protecting my wife. And all I have to do is do dishes. Now I love doing dishes because it's so simple. And I get so much out of it. I get so much bang for my buck. It's profound what you said about how the fight is never about that thing it, you know it all it, and anybody who's done any kind of um couples therapy you know and if you're in a marriage that's survived more than five years you'd likely have sought some type of um help with that because marriages aren't 
easy. And, you know, you realize just how much is going on underneath the things that you think you're fighting about. And usually that's the tip of the iceberg. You could totally do a quantum couples group, you know, and, and work with couples, I think, you know. What I do is uh, I have sat in circle with couples. Sometimes I do that. Sometimes I do it with founders because it doesn't have to be romantic couples. It can also be, you know, uh, that's incredibly helpful. But the other thing uh, I find is that if I simply give often male clients uh, the talking piece to bring home to their wives, it's extraordinary the 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 change it makes in their lives. It, it's extraordinary, and it's fucking quick. It's like a couple of weeks go by, and it's like everything has changed because ultimately she didn't feel heard, and now she feels heard because she's literally being heard because she you can't interrupt while you don't have the talking piece, and like everything changes pretty radically. And I like what you said about the um, the i the iceberg, and I think it's important to say that. It's important not to get discouraged to think, oh, there's so much more there. There's no way around it. Because the truth of the matter is, even though there's so much more there, once you figure out what it is, it's very simple. And listening to know someone is simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. There's a big difference between those two things. It's not easy at all, but it is simple. And once you've figured it out, then or you figured out what it is, what is the meaning behind the upset? Mm -hmm. You can shift things very quickly. Yeah. And you know, what, what the other thing I want to say is what happens when you begin to peel the layers back. And this is my, obviously my experience, um, you know, there, it can be uncomfortable, you know, somebody is usually, or at least somebody feels like they're in a hot seat. Um, but, when your intention is clear, which is to create a better and happier life together, whether that be, you know, a work relationship, a romantic relationship, marriage, you know, if the intention is clear with you and, and your other part of the party, you know, whether it be wife, partner, whatever, um, then usually what I've found is things begin to improve from there. So there's a, there's a moment or two where, you know, things are being revealed possibly that is uncomfortable, but you've got to get through that because on the other side of that, there's more understanding, there's more joy. And, and there, these things are just keeping you from that. And then all that frustration. And this, again, this is just, this is just my experience, you know, all the frustration and the anger and the passive aggression that goes on in, in a relationship. There's another, that that's, one side of these unintegrated, unprocessed feelings and traumas. And so it just stands to reason, and this is my personal experience with it, that the more that you can integrate, the more that you can heal, the more that you can, you know, allow what was in the past to be and and love it for what it was and for what it taught you, and then come back into the present, the, then the more you're going to have the opposite sides of those emotions the other side of the coin which is joy which is you know this wonderful youthful playfulness and 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 love so much love because that's the other side of the of you know 
the onion. That's the other side of the layers. That's and it and so the way to that, the journey to that, can be scary because it's kind of an unknown. But at the same time, it's so worth it. And it's not all you know. It's not all pulling two teeth and and nails. It, it's it it is and becomes enjoyable. That's that's all I wanted to say to that. There's a book called The Book of Joy, which is Archbishop Desmond Tutu speaking with the Dalai Lama about joy. And they start to differentiate between joy and, and happiness. And what they say about joy is, in essence, joy is the feeling you have after you've walked through the fire. And I love that because I think that's absolutely true. There are times where I've started circle with my wife and I'm like, oh, my God, this is making things so much worse. I wish I just hadn't done this. But if you stay in it, you know, it might even take an hour or an hour and a half. If you stay in it, you come out through the other side because you're you you you, you really make it through that long, dark night of the soul in the midst of that conversation. And then the other side is joy because you've come through the fire. And by coming through the fire, you have you've transmuted the toxin together and transmuting the toxin together is a transformational experience. It's a bonding experience. It's wonderful. Yeah. And it's so hard, you know, you just, you're, you feel so stuck in that moment. Do you ever feel like so stuck? Like, Oh my God, why did I get into this? Why did I open my mouth? You know, and you're just, this, this one second feels like an eternity, right? And you're like, you know, every bone in your body is just screaming for me to like, just walk away, just get, you know, run, run away, get out of here before you, before you lose it, before you, you know, you lose your temper or you say something or do something. It just feels unbearable, right? I think everybody's had that feeling. I, I certainly have. And, but every time I stay, every time I breathe, and just look up and come back into what's happening right here and now and not, you know, the construct of this argument or this feeling it. And remember that my intention is to work this out and not make, you know, and then it just becomes, it's like all of a sudden like this, this, the, the, the cloud clears and, and the sun peeks through and there's this glimmer of light that happens. And it, and it's such a relief, and I and I become so, I so filled with joy that I stayed, um, you know, I stayed in it, and 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 I didn't and I didn't do what I probably would have done had I not began this journey, you know, of healing so long ago, and that is storm out of the room, and hold on to my anger, and 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 let everyone know how hurt I was, or you know. It's just not, it's, it's so much better to, to, to stay with it and work through it. And then you feel the joy, you know, then, then you feel lighter reborn. And what I heard you say, which I think is um, a really powerful approach and one that I try to use as well is when you feel really stuck, part of what's making you feel stuck is that you are trying to solve a problem you are which which is often about being right but not always sometimes it's simply solving a problem or figuring out what to do or getting through it and that 
is incredibly difficult and incredibly frustrating and can make things worse and worse and worse. If instead you do what you said, which is take a breath, which is in essence, change your awareness and attention to something else, something in the now, in the physical moment, even if it's concentrating on your heartbeat, if it's listening to a sound that's far away, I just started studying uh, positive intelligence. If it's, if it's um, um, rubbing your fingers together to feel the tension, uh, to, to feel the ridges on your finger, whatever it is that gets you outside so that you're in an observer's position of what you're experiencing will change the frustration radically. And then the next thing is not to try to solve the problem, but simply to share what you're feeling, share your inner world out. So I was speaking with my wife once and I was in that place and recently, and I realized that I was in a limbic hijack. I could feel it. And so I said to her, I said, you know, cause I know if I say to her, I just don't want to talk about this right now, that upsets her. So I said to her, I don't want to talk about this right now. And here's why I can tell that I, that my, that that the blood is in my amygdala, like my prefrontal cortex is totally offline. Um, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling uh, um, uh, in my stomach. It feels like butterflies and it kind of hurts over here. I, I simply started describing what's exactly happening and, and then I said, so I would like some time to breathe and get back to um, balance and then come back and speak with you. And she was like, no problem. She's like, and then later on, she said to me, that made me feel much safer than when you simply say, I don't want to talk right now. Yeah. That's like, fuck you, you're wrong versus here's the experience I'm having in the moment. I'm willing to be vulnerable. One thing I realized about vulnerable is it's not just about sharing things that you don't want to share or that are, you know, embarrassing. It's also about sharing what's happening right now in your experience without filtering it. Being honest about it with yourself first. And then with, yeah. Yeah. It's more than honesty, though, because it's it's about being in the present moment and sharing from the present moment. One thing we do when we're in circle, uh, I often we have guidelines which we create together in consensus. And one of the guidelines I like to put out there is what I call the Ghostbusters rule. Um, and the Ghostbusters rule is because in Ghostbusters, there's a part where they say the next thing you think of will be the thing that destroys you. And they say, nobody think of anything. And then, of course, you know, Ray thinks yeah. of the Snake Puff Marshmallow Man, and we know how that goes. Do, Ray. Right. What did you do, Ray? I tried to think of the. <laughs> and, and, um, and so the Ghostbuster rule is, if you think of something while you're listening about what you want to say, you don't get to say it. So I want to I want to I want to read something to you. Ted, that, that you wrote that I, that I, I really think is fantastic and, and it really taught me something about why it's so important um, to ask questions in, in this setting that I'm in, that, I, that I've created for myself and, and why it's important to ask tough questions that maybe I'm not always so comfortable 
about asking because of how I feel about the person I'm asking it to. But uh, I want to I want to read this because it speaks to you as well. We hypo- we hypothesize that if a question is effective enough, the person trying to answer it will encounter a transformation in the journey of searching for the answer. In addition, the answers that give the answers that people give may offer those listening a special kind of insight into their own humanity. If this is true, then the questions we answer become the technology by which we operate. When questions lead us into the depth of our own souls, then a bond is created with those who hear our answers similar to the bond created by sharing an experience together. I just think that's profound, man. And and that taught me something about doing these interviews, but you really put it, you, you worded it so well. And I thought, wow, that's, it's amazing. You do that in group, but it's also amazing um, to, it's, I mean, it's like, dude, it's like, uh, I just want to like, I want to put it on a billboard for people to read because I think they could learn something about conversation. I'm so touched. Uh, thank you. I, I have like tears in my eyes. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. Uh, wow. I'm, I'm, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for, for writing that and for being inspired to write that. And, you know, it, it just it reminds me of something else you, you wrote about listening and about, you know, why they call it an art and, 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 it's helped me understand just what an, and remind me what, what an art form it is. You know, like you spoke about how, uh, you know, when we listen, we, we hold space for, for the words that are being sent to us and we're looking for words, which I think you said match, match our, our preconceptions. Right. And so you say there's, there are different kinds of listening. There's that they may physically function the same way, but their intent and effect is not the same. And that when we, listen to we we hold space for the words that are being sent toward us and we listen for we're looking for words which match our preconceptions so when we listen to we're willing to be surprised when you when you're listening to when we listen for we try to bring the communication to a conclusion and that's profoundly true and rampant in our society you also say that when we fully listen to a person when we fully listen to a, per, to a person speak, we allow ourselves to be empty containers. And as an empty container, there's no space for ego, only space for the words that are being shared with us. And of course, words are containers for energy. So sharing your voice fills words with emotions. It uses intention to send words. And when there's a container to hold these thoughts, Feelings are sent via intention, and that's how we create intimacy. And intimacy is sharing to be known and listening to know. I also think it's important to say that um, bringing things to a conclusion is a finite game, whereas so listening for is a finite game. A finite game is a game you play to win. There are winners, there are losers, and it ends. An infinite game is a game you play to keep everybody playing. And surprise is what you're looking for. And neither is better or worse. They're necessary. They're both necessary. It's not a 
judgment of either. There are times when bringing bringing conversation to a conclusion is a good thing. We want that. There are so many times where I am texting. I hate asynchronous messaging because I think it is an incredibly ineffective and no, it's extremely effective at creating drama and misunderstandings, but it's extremely ineffective at helping people communicate or create intimacy. Um, you say async, a, async. asynchronous uh, uh, messaging is, it could be, uh, I, you know, messaging on I, on the iPhone or messaging on WhatsApp or any of the different chat threads. I mean, what I think is a really, gotcha, yeah. you know, amazing thing is that we've got these like extraordinarily powerful companies with amazing logistics and technology like Google and Facebook and Apple and what have you. And each and every one of them has gone out of their way to create the same thing as the other one. Like how many messaging platforms do we need? Is it possible that they could have created like three messaging platforms and then one of them decided, you know what? We don't need another messaging platform. We'll build the technology so that logistics in a hurricane can be handled so that some guy in Florida doesn't have to build an app himself to handle that. Right. Instead, Google might handle it. But no, they don't do that. So no, they're not interested in that. They're interested in data. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of data in a hurricane, I think. There is. At least according to the movie Twister. Yes. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> oh, man. I remember seeing that movie. I was like, wow. Um yeah. So, so speaking of Google and Facebook, I love uh, Zuck Zuck Google. I love your 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 writing on Zuck Zuck Google. Um, speaking of Google, there's been a, a a lot of censorship lately, and and so you're in Europe. Tell me what's going on there with some of the with with Facebook and with I mean, like so you know we hear and everything is dismissed from the polarization is so bad in the United States right now that you can have one person saying, Oh, you know, they're in Europe, they're aghast at the censorship going on with big tech. And then you can, and then the same moment, uh, you know, another person will say, that's not true. That's Fox news saying that they, they're actually for the censorship and they think it's a good thing. And so there's, there's no barometer of truth. There's just, Whoever said it on this side makes it false. Whoever said it on this side makes it false for their side. And so nobody, there's, there's just no in, in, integrity in reporting at all right now. So what's, what's really happening over there, like in Stockholm? And, and what do you guys think when you see the censorship that's going on in America right now? What do you, what, what's the general consensus about it? Well, I mean, to start back a little bit, like, when I watch American news talk about what's happening in Stockholm regarding COVID, it's like, wow, it's really um, not where I'm living. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, they make it out to be, oh, it's terrible in Stockholm. It's so much worse than oh, everywhere. Yeah. It's la, la, la. And, um, you know, it's about the same as it is everywhere else, you know, and uh, the difference is that, you know, in Stockholm, they, you know, in Sweden, they decided not to go nuts destroy people's lives and destroy everyone's lives. They decided to come up with a reasonable response based on, you know, 
science and based on, you know, uh, yeah. what's happened in the past and based on, you know, logic, yeah. uh, which has been really nice because it feels really safe to be here because it kind of makes sense. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, it must be, must be great. I mean, I can, I can imagine. I, I mean, I was in Florida where the response is similar and, and it's just so nice to be able to live in a place where, I mean, you, you are allowing people to take the precautions they need to take to feel safe. You're giving them the power and the choice to live their lives the way they want to live. And you're not saying that they cannot continue to thrive or continue to do what they love and, and, and make, make, make money in order to feed their children and put their kids through school and have a life. You aren't saying any of that. You're just, you know, you're allowing people to use their intelligence and, and, and then that must be amazing. I mean, I, I, I reveled in my week in Florida. I marveled at it coming from New York city where it's not so much the case here. Um, you can't even walk down the street here without people want to avoid you in general whether you have 12 masks on or not, um, that's the level of fear that has happened in the city. And, and the, you know, the, the state of this city reflects that level of fear. Every other shop is boarded up. Every other restaurant is closed down. If you talk to most people have not been able to survive this, unless you have some kind of corporate sponsor, you've been around a long time and have saved enough money. There's, there's just, do you, how, how can, and, and, you know, where's where's the concern for the citizens? They, they say they're protecting the most vulnerable, but the most vulnerable, you know, in New York, at least, have been the ones who bit the bullet. OK, you know, and if, I mean, this state is just atrocious. It's atrocious to, to think that they're praising the state when you look at the numbers. is just I mean, that's just how how insane things are here. But I always love touching base with you because you live there. And so you get to see the propaganda that comes out of the States about what's, you know, how Sweden is regretting their response. I'm like, give me a fucking break. You know, like you just can't believe anything you read anymore. Cause, and, and I just read an article that came out a few days ago saying how someone in Sweden was caught deliberately putting out misinformation about what's happening in Sweden to international news outlets to make it look like their response was bad because they don't want people to know your response was good because then they have to backtrack and try to explain this mess and they don't want to have then no, no no one wants to take responsibility if, they, if there's anything that politicians are really good at it's finding a way not to say I fucked up right and that's what's you see that happening all over yeah yeah it's very <laughs> that's yeah. very interesting yeah you know this isn't this is maybe not apropos of what we're describing right now but it's it's sort of related and it comes from what we were talking about before about sort of like getting angry at the situation versus seeing the gift in the situation um one thing i realized is i used to watch uh uh rachel maddow because i was like she's brilliant, you know, and like, she's got like brilliant things to say. And like, I really like it and blah, blah, blah. And like, and Fox news is bad and that's all bad. And then I started to realize like the truth of the matter is I'm comparing content to content. Mm -hmm. I'm listening for what they're saying. But if I listen to what they're saying, Fox news and Rachel Maddow are all coming in at the same level 
when it comes to like David Hawkins's understanding of force and power. It's all anger. It's different kinds of anger. Maybe some of the anger appeals to me and the other anger I don't agree with, but regardless, it's all anger. So it's not helpful. And so the question is, can we simply say, well, that's not really moving us forward. What would it look like to move us forward? But it, it can be really difficult to do that. Ted, for, for people who are listening, who are interested in, in Quantum Warrior, if you could yeah. give us a quick rundown of, you know, how long is it? How does it run? You know, like, what does it cost if, if someone wants to, to take this, this journey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, uh, so Quantum Warrior is 12 weeks long. It's 90 minutes each week. It's online. And the cost is you take the amount you make in a year or the amount you spend in a year. You divide by 100. And that's your cost. And if you find after 12 weeks that it wasn't a transformational experience, you can have your money back. We don't care if you like it, <laughs> but if you find that it was not a transformational experience, we don't want to keep your money because you are paying for a transformational experience. And we've been running it now for five years and we have yet to have anyone uh, ask for their money back. Um, and I would say that any men who are interested in really doing the work of transformation um get in touch yeah do i need to you'll have contact information oh, yeah yeah we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll take care of all and, that and um and any women who have men in their lives who they think could use this work send them our way as well absolutely uh i'm 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 thinking about checking it out it's just uh been pretty crazy with a lot of commitments these last few weeks um, but next time it comes around, does it start, is it cyclical or can you, do you jump? So the way it works is it's, it's, uh, rolling. Mm -hmm. So once, uh, seven men have, uh, paid, we start the next circle. And each time we, we, assuming that I'm start, I'm going to start scaling soon and start mm -hmm. having men who, uh, have been in circle multiple times, uh, trained to be keepers. And then they can keep circles because we're starting to get too many people. Mm -hmm. um, but basically you pay. And then the next time a circle starts, which is usually within two or three weeks of whenever you pay, then it, it uh, you begin. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We're going to provide a lot of information on that for everyone. And um, well, dude, let's go far out a little bit, man. I know we went far out. Like, I mean, we tried to go far out, although we didn't get very far in our first podcast together. So this podcast, I mean, you, you know, you had some, some profound answers and, and again, this interview has been fantastic as well, but let me ask you, I know that you haven't been in any UFOs and that if you were in a UFO, they probably would, you know, fire you and just send you back down. But, but, do you do you believe that um, right now on the planet there is a general disclosure movement happening? And what did you think when the New York Times, um, you know, published that 
thing in the middle of the COVID pandemic that said, uh, oh, but the Pentagon has admitted that they have found off-world vehicles. Did you even catch it? No. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I mean. Nobody even saw Nobody even saw the article. That's so this, uh, that, that's that's true. The, the New York Times published an article. It, uh, in they did an interview. They're interviewing somebody from the Pentagon. The Pentagon admitted that they had recovered off-world vehicles. And I quote: "They said these we recovered vehicles that could not have been built on this planet." Did you know that? You didn't know that? Oh, I saw that like ten years ago in a documentary. Oh well, this was actually published by the New York Times. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. yeah. But there was that document. No, not ten years. I mean, like five years ago, in that great documentary where you've got a bunch of people from the Pentagon and they're they're showing the actual like the lights and how you couldn't move that oh, way, yeah, yeah. Uh, without you know using quantum physics that we're not aware of yet and things like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a few. There's a few documentaries, but well, um, so you you answered this before, but I want to ask again because I I feel like the answer is always evolving with time but if you were you know if you could give the gift of a understanding to you know we could say all the men on the planet or people in general you know what something that you could kind of speak to them and whisper in their ear and they would uh they would they would be able to hear you what would you say to the to this to this collective group of humanity that that what would you have them understand that could make for a better life for them Mm, great question um and i'm going to include myself in the people to whom i am whispering actually i'm going to almost whisper this to myself and that therefore it will hopefully be relevant and useful um so the shamans from uh lake titicaca say that from the time that a man is 25 till the time that he is 50 He is in battle, bringing home the spoils of war. If he chooses, he goes through the long, dark night of the soul, and he comes out on the other side from the time that he's 50 to 100 as a wise man who is in service. The entire reason for Quantum Warrior is to go through that long, dark night of the soul together, is to have a raft to do it together. How do we move the parts of our life that are in battle to being in service? So what I would say is that we have a new, I think that men have always been responsible for um, providing and protecting. And I think that providing and protecting has fundamentally changed into a new thing. And the way that we can provide and protect most powerfully in the future, starting now, is through our listening, how powerfully we can listen. You can change the world by the way you listen, that your actions in the world are nowhere near as powerful as the way you listen, because you create a container when you listen that allows everything around you to change. It's a quantum effect. That's why it's called quantum warrior, because it is a quantum effect. It is not a Newtonian effect. You change everything around you. You, in essence, create a field when you listen, when you change the way you listen. And my teacher's teacher, Kay Pranis, who was also, uh, I, I, I went back for advanced training and circle keeping, and she trained, trained us. 
Uh, she told us a story. She was um, in a tiny woman, 80 years old, wearing a cardigan, her feet barely touched the floor, long gray hair, not what you would consider your typical badass. She's in a maximum security prison, sitting in a circle with uh, men, only men, and it's their third circle of 12. And she she passes the talking piece to the man next to her. The man next to her is a gang leader who's in jail for life. And he says, you know, when I first started doing this circle stuff, I thought it was fucking bullshit. But earlier today, this other inmate came up to me and he was screaming in my face. And normally I would end him for this level of disrespect. But I realized he just had the talking piece. So I listened, I let him finish, and then he walked away. He simply needed to be heard. And I think that that story is the, is, it was the thing that propelled me into doing this work more than anything else. Because what I hear from that story is the way you choose to listen can create peace. The way you choose to listen can change everything around you. Yeah. And learning to listen is a skill, it is a muscle, and it is something that you have to go to the gym for. And so we, we built the gym. Yeah, it's, it's the way you choose to listen does have a profound effect, you know, on, on, on everything and can literally change almost any situation. It's a, it's, it's pretty awesome what you're doing. And, and I'm glad I asked you again, even though I, I we had visited this question once before. Uh, it, you're, it's a great answer, man. And I appreciate your time, Ted. Um, dude, I'm going to come to Stockholm one of these days. Visit. So love to have you. You're very, very welcome. Thanks, brother. Appreciate yeah. it, man. Great to see you, Faust. You too, buddy. Um, you know, we'll keep posted and uh, have all the information on Quantum Warrior uh, included with the thing. And we'll, we'll get, we're going to get the word out. And uh, this has been real, man. It's been great. I appreciate your time, bro. Thank you so much. And oh, by the way, you know, I don't know if I mentioned this, but you are officially the first and only repeat uh, guest on Far Out with Faust. So my tip of the hat to you good sir um uh, it was great honor to to be with you great to be back all right buddy hey you have a good night it's night there right yes all right my friend have a good love night. you brother take care love you too pal take care